Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. On this episode of Margin Call, we've gathered the crew and guests to discuss issues at the forefront of the legal cannabis industry. Obviously, the term cannabis industry is a catch-all that includes medical cannabis, non-medical or recreational cannabis, refined pharmaceuticals, snacks, clubs, fate pens, gummy bears, gourmet cooking, bed and breakfast, cannabis tourism, cannabis yoga, growers, distributors, marketers, apps, and old-fashioned weed brownies for the purists. Cannabis is a product like any other, and the only thing that sets it apart for the sake of this conversation from products like cotton or alcohol or olive oil is that for generations in this country, it was illegal, and hordes of people were arrested, prosecuted, and incarcerated for growing, possessing, and selling it as part of the misguided, inefficient, and racist war on drugs. In recent years, as jurisdictions across the United States have voted to legalize cannabis to varying degrees, it's quickly become a booming industry. The question before us today is, who's profiting from this booming industry? What role are corporations playing? And what are the obstacles to marginalized people to accessing the boom? To unpack these issues, we've gathered an impressive panel. For the first time on the show, we welcome Nina Parks, the founder and CEO of Mirage Medicinal, a delivery service based in San Francisco, California. A big welcome to Nina. And rounding out the panel today, we have Charles Jones, Andre Baca, Albert Felipe, and minding the boards and keeping things tight, as always, is our producer and guiding light, Eming Piancai. Nina, I, I want to start with you because we've wanted to get your story on the show for a long time. Uh, I've wanted you to write a piece for the website. Uh, and once we knew we were going to have this conversation today, you're the first person I thought of. Uh, I follow your work and advocacy from afar. I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. Uh, and first, let me ask, let me, I'll start with this. Did I get it right in the intro? Are there obstacles to independent business people, specifically people of color, uh, to accessing the boom in the cannabis industry? Just give us a sense of what that looks like uh, and what kind of work you're doing uh, to counteract it. Yeah, there are there are barriers. First off, uh, we're coming out of a stage of, of prohibition, right? And so pro- while prohibition was in place, it created a whole slew of, uh, of uh, second-class citizens that had a felony on their record, and uh, which excluded them from being able to access things like student loans, um, housing applications, loan applications, you know, like a, just a number of things like employment. Um, and in doing that, it, it takes away an ability for a human being to be able to sustain themselves for their, like on their basic need level, right? And so what kind of, a, what kind of dynamic does that create in our society? And that's ex- essentially what I feel socially responsible to at least address as I, I myself personally um, also tried to start a business inside of this legal cannabis market. You know, um, granted, you you were right in saying that I was helping to to do Mirage Medicinal. Mirage Medicinal was my brother's business, um, and uh, I I gained ownership over it after he got locked up in Rikers Island, and I kept it running uh, until he got out. You know, and so now we're trying to tr- transition out of the the delivery service business into an actual brick and mortar. So I can speak from our own experience, um, how it's like, and then also from being able to speak to the people that are also navigating this landscape, 
Um, there's there are huge barriers to entry in regards to uh, capital, access to real estate, access to a network that also has like legal supply, like that are in the legal supply chain and also like systems navigation, navigating all of the new, the, all of the new regulation that's there, not to mention that the state is still in temporary regulation period. Like we don't even know what our solid regs are going to look like. So this like constantly changing landscape. So if you're trying to get your business up and running, you're just burning out capital right now too. Um, so it's completely, really, really difficult to navigate right now. And if you haven't had me, access to capital, it's been like a nightmare, you know? Was was Mirage Medicinal, was that in existence under the old laws that were medical laws and you guys kind of had to adjust and transition as the new laws were passed? What what did that look like for you? Correct. So we, we used to function under 215. So we were a um, co-op, like a mutual benefit co-op corporation. And then we um, were able to take on members and then, uh, and then be able to distribute medicine through being a caregiver. So um, pay my taxes, you know, <laughs> like kept so it going. It was, what, such, what, what, it was so good. It used to be so good, Russell. <laughs> well, that's what I'm interested in. You know, a lot of people, this is something that we've been talking about. I mean, I don't know, since I was a teenager in the 90s, we were talking about legalize it. There was a dream that one day marijuana would be legal, right? And now that that quote unquote dream is coming true, it seems like a lot of people are realizing that it's kind of a kind of a mixed bag. What's What's the drag about it? Why was business good before and now that... Uh, the laws have changed seemingly in favor of consumers and producers. Why, why has it gotten bad for you? Oh, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, please jump in, Charlie. Okay. So, um, all right, let me speak on this personally, right? When I was operating illegally and I was selling weed, I was getting 50 and $60 for eight selling weed for $20 a gram, right? Mm -hmm. I was paying about 300, 350 for an ounce. So at the end of the day, my profit margin was a lot wider than it would be for somebody now because now it's taxes involved and the tax rate is so high and everybody is taxed at every level that the cost can't help but be transferred to the consumer. So for a consumer, you walking in and you, you know, before recreation became legal, before Prop 64, you was out here getting weed for $35 an eighth uh, to $50 an eighth, depending on the grade at the dispensary. Uh, now is that plus tax. The consumer is incentivized to kind of go to the street because you're getting the same product and you're paying a lot less for it on the street. You're not paying that tax, right? Well, there is a trade-off, right? I mean, the one good thing here, ostensibly, and correct me if I'm wrong, is is the decriminalization aspect, is that we're no longer locking people up in huge numbers. So that's not, there's no, all right. So the people who were hollering, the old hippies, the Emerald Triangle folks, who was hollering decriminalization for 20 years, 30 years, are now asking for people who sell illegally to be prosecuted and uh, prosecuted uh, with high uh, with high uh, consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, to deter people to deter people from selling illegally. So now we got the people 
who asked for decriminalization when they was on the other side of the law, but they have access, they have the resources, they have the lands, they have the capital, they have, you know, all this from when they was operating illegally. Nobody is talking about that part. Nobody is, you know, raiding folks up in Mendocino County for having their startup cash from their illegal operations from back in the day. But we still penalize, black and brown people are still penalized for having those arrest records and those conviction records associated with marijuana. It's a lot harder for us because we don't have the access to the capital that they have. We don't have the land resources that they have. And we don't have the startup, we don't have the startup just cash, hard cash, because you need hard cash to start any business. You feel what I'm saying? And so um, while everything is being legalized, it's also being set up in California to go into the hands of large industry because California regulated basically uh, because they wanted the tax dollars. At the end of the day, it wasn't about uh, people, more people getting access to the medicine. It wasn't about decriminalization. It was about California getting a cut. Which was true. And so um, because that is the reality, we had to, the meaning the reality meaning that it, the new regulate the regulation in Prop 64, a lot of the social justice pieces seemed almost like an afterthought and it really came later on down the line once um, once like the language already came out and we we're like, hey, there's so many things that are missing here. Because they there was another piece of legislation that was before 64, which was the Reform California bill. Right. And then um, some new stakeholders came in and then they took over Prop 64 and it became a very corporately structured language. Right. And it became 64 pages. It went from four pages to 64 pages, you know, um, which is already onerous and which is already a barrier to entry because for people that are advocating or who's going to who has the skill set to sit there and read it? I like I paired up with people because I knew that it was something that was necessary. We used to have just like sitting around in people's apartments, like breaking down the language in the bill and being like, does this sound like it, it includes us? And because it didn't, we kept on going to Oakland at that time period because uh, in 2015, Oakland was the only people having a conversation around legalization because they saw it coming down the line and they wanted to talk about adult use. Um, and so because this narrative now was present where we're like, the language doesn't include people of color, like what about transitioning the like? the other traditional economy or those who have gotten um, arrested or the, the fact that we've gotten fucked with, like since we we're kids growing up in San Francisco, you know, like when I was, a, when I was working at a youth center, um, running a youth center program in the Excelsior, like the police officers would come in and like rip out the kids from the center because somebody had reported that someone was smoking weed on a, on a porch and they would literally rip the kids out of the center, put them on a, like in zip ties and sit them in front of the center because someone said that someone was smoking weed out front. You know, mm -hmm. like it's crazy the landscape that we were like navigating through. It's just, it's anyways, they've always. But that used reality it, has but. changed, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be an advocate here. I'm just it's, like, I think that there's. It's lessened. Yeah. It's lessened. Yeah, it's, it's definitely lessened. And like the conversations around the equity programs have um, really, really helped helped it to lessen. Now, this is crazy. This is in 2015. And I went to like a Cal Grover's meeting. And there was a man there um, in the audience that used to be ex law enforcement. And he said that 
he's like, what are my, he's like, what are my colleagues going to do? Like we say that we smell weed whenever we don't smell weed. So now you're taking away our probable cause. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck did you just say? Like, At least he's just... being honest. Right. And then yeah. I, had to, I had to realize that over time. I was like, oh, my God. But he did say it out loud. So now yeah. you know it's better yeah. than him in his head. It took me the shot. Yeah. Took, yeah, it took a second. But yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think like, you know, growing up in, you know, in the 80s and, you know, in the 90s and just seeing, you know, the impact of what that meant, not only to like people I grew up with, but, you know, um, the decriminalization nowadays, actually, you know, me um, looking back at it just makes me so angry to see what voices are coming out and really kind of like now jumping on this bandwagon because now it's a profitable business. And obviously, you know, we've seen governments and everything, um, you know, really, uh, benefit, you know, just reaping the benefits of this in some given way. But um, there's just like this, this, residue behind it that just gets me so upset um uh i was taking a class um the professor showed us this video about jane west from edible events over in colorado Mm. Mm. um Mm -hmm. and and here's the thing and you know you're holding this big gala with like you know symphony orchestra and you know you're having tons of money being pumped into this thing and you know and and you're, you're showing like you know these, you know, Midwestern white ladies like smoking pot and they're talking about like these issues and everything. And I couldn't help myself but saying, you know, man, this is so fucked up because, you know, this shit is riding on the backs of a lot of people who are probably, and, you know, I'm from the East Coast, I'm from New York, so there was zero tolerance. Like Mm, there's still some people doing hard time for shit like this. You understand what I'm saying? Real time. So, you know, I have these mixed feelings because, you know, one, I do support the movement, but then at the end of the day, it's like shit. If I support this movement, does that mean that I'm forgetting about, you know, that cop who says, you know, my probable cause is, you know, because I smelled weed and now somebody's doing, you know, a bid for 15. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a little. Well, I'm glad, Albert, I'm glad that you mentioned Colorado. Uh, They're the other state. I mean, there are many municipalities uh, that comes up when we when we talk about these changing laws and industries and really the boom, you know, I, I associate the boom very strongly with Colorado. Nina, do you, I, I, I'm hearing from you what some of the issues are in California in terms of what the letter of that law is. Uh, are there municipalities that are getting it right or doing it differently or doing a worse job? Like how is it? California is the leaders on figuring out the social justice piece, I would have to say. And actually, no, Massachusetts is doing pretty good too. Like Sh- Shaleen Title. And a lot of the advocates that are out there um, in Massachusetts are helping to shape uh, at least language within their state legislation that is looking um, to support people that have been affected by the war on drugs. And then also, uh, I have to say, San Francisco, uh, Oakland was the... Oakland was ground zero. So we're learning so many lessons from Oakland. San Francisco is the second iteration of these cannabis equity programs that are specifically inclusive to people that have had a a cannabis arrest. San Francisco's unique because it's a cannabis arrest anywhere in the United States. Um, But you had to be a resident of San Francisco at the time of the arrest. Um, If your parent has been arrested uh, for cannabis or your sibling, um, if you went to public school in San Francisco, that's also um, a qualifier for these equity programs. If you um, are considered low income and you lived in a low income area for five years of your life, 
and if you earn a miss, if you earn uh, lower than like the the median in San Francisco, if you so it's like if you uh, earn under like almost like eighty k, depends on the household size, right? Um, you also qualify. I'm missing one more. But um, I'm, impressed. I'm impressed with what you were able to rattle off just there. I mean, I know this is your the world that you move in, um, but I'm particularly intrigued by this specific aspect of, of social justice and inclusion. Uh, and, and I'm, say, yeah, go ahead, Charlie. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, as far as like out of state models that I've run into that I happen to really, really like, I, I fuck with Washington, D.C.'s model. So what they did hmm. was they legalize it for medicinal purposes. So it's, it's kind of restrictive. And then I believe you can only sign up to one club and that one club is your provider if you get it medicinally right. But for people who are doing it recreationally, they didn't set up any laws around sales and distribution. So you, don't, you can't sell it in Washington, D.C. legally, but you can give it to someone. So what they end up doing is that they have a lot of pop-ups and they uh, sell shirts or slushies or slices of pizza or whatever, and they give you the weed with that, and it's not taxed. It's, it's not, so you know, good. The good old days. The good old days. <laughs> you know what I'm we're, saying? We're too complex here in, San, in, in California. We, the, the other yeah. side of that is there's still a, the, the heavy criminalization aspect where if they catch you like selling it, you're going down. You feel what I'm saying? But um, they're not really looking for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm reminded of, you know, there's language they used to use, this phrase, the crooked ladder. Uh, they talk a lot about this for organized crime, uh, for white people historically in this country, you know, like the Kennedys, right? That, that family, they were bootleggers. They were Irish immigrants who made their money uh, selling alcohol illegally during prohibition, which is exactly the same as somebody, you know, selling drugs during the war on drugs, except that, you know, they made their money, they got out, and then one of them was a senator, and then the next one was a president, and it, they went on to create uh, one of the biggest and most influential political dynasties um, the country's ever seen. Uh, there's a lot of evidence to support that this is true in, you know, for Italian Americans, people who are involved in organized crime. You know, one guy might be you know, involved in unsavory activity, but, you know, his granddaughter gets to go to like a private school and have a, have a square life. And that's a path that's afforded some people and it's not afforded other people. Um, and it's interesting to think about that kind of having another, uh, another iteration now uh, in this industry, right? Like a, a group of people who may have been involved in what was once an illegal industry now not having access to the economy, um, because of their past. I mean, I think there's a, there's a parallel there. I'm talking to people now about people who have an actual interest in being a part of the cannabis industry. I'm talking to them now about doing any, everything in the industry outside of dealing directly with flour. So if, if it's like, if you have some capital and you want to, and you want to be a part of the cannabis industry, it's better for you to start a sticker company or a packaging company, or, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, make glass tips or, you know, whatever. It, it's better for you to get into the industry uh, surrounding cannabis right now than it is to actually deal with cannabis. Because um, like Nina said earlier, we still don't have like all of the, we don't know 
what California's marijuana laws will look like in five years. You know what I'm saying? We don't have all of our regulations and all of our taxes even uh, structured yet. So um, it's a gamble and for people of color, you know what I'm saying? As hard as it is for us to get the capital and the back end that it takes to get into this industry, I, I'm feeling like, you know, back off of flour, back off of concentrates and all this old shit and focus on the, the, the shit that's a necessity because we have, you know, packaging uh, regulations in California now. We have all these different regulations that create industry outside of just cannabis. We have like all of these different um, regulations like packaging regulations in place now that create opportunities, that create new businesses in the right. cannabis industry. You know, right. It's like, it's like during the gold rush, right? Like if you were making the, the jeans, the, the pans, shovels, like you, you had a little bit more longevity than if you were just mining for gold, right? Because that was a limited resource kind of thing, whereas like the, the tools needed to always be replenished to do the work, you know, so. Um, that's where Levi's came from, right? Right. And that's a, right. Yeah. That's where Levi's came from. <laughs> Who's going to be the Levi Strauss of the cannabis industry? That's the question. Well, you know, 150 years from now. That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> Dre, Dre, when we sent out the call for today, we're like, oh, we're going to talk about the, the cannabis biz. You were one of the first people like, I'm in. That was the <laughs> response. That was the, that we, we hadn't heard from you for weeks since the Kaepernick <laughs> episode. So what yeah. is your what is your vested interest here in, in the cannabis industry? As far as like businesses, you know, people, that's the great thing about, you know, the, always the part of the American dream was you can open up any business that you want and run it the way you want and it can be successful. And I feel like a lot of people are making excuses at the wrong time. It's like, if you're, if you're starting a company, yeah, you need capital, but you also need somebody or you would think a CEO is wise enough to hire a consultant who's a lot like Charlie. You need somebody with a background who had a street game. And explain, you need somebody to explain it to you, kind of like the way he was to us. It's like, oh, shit. You know, I never thought that in depth about it sometimes because you don't have that perspective. Yeah. So it's like there are different places to get in and start uh, lobbying people for the money because, you know, there's so much focus on the social justice part. But at the same time, you have a lot of the old farmers that, uh, that everybody knows that their favorite strain from, the Emerald Triangle hippies. Those guys got priced out as well. They're, they were farmers. That's all they did. They, they you know, they, they ran the farm. They knew how to do it really well, but they were not salesmen. And so, and that, they never had to do that part of it. So there's, it's, it's a wide open game for everybody. And if anybody has the jump, it is black and brown folks because we've been going to, you know, supporting, I remember I got introduced to Cypress Hill. My first Cypress Hill concert at like 14 years old. That was just like, you know, two Latinos on stage, like smoking. I was like, damn, I'm in. I like this. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, we've been doing this. This whole industry has been on, a, you know, basically training wheels in Cali, specifically in the Bay Area and LA for a long time. So if anybody knows how to do this, it is us. And we don't, we don't have to think about it. It's just kind of, you know, kind of, Kind of like uh, the the special guest tonight. She's she just took over her brother's company. But it sounds I know it sounds very easy, but um, <laughs> you 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 obviously were confident enough in yourself to just jump in and start doing that. And now you guys are 
you know what you're on you're on a roll to to possibly do some major things because you have you guys have a background in doing this for at least a couple of years nina i saw you shaking your head does that mean it's not easy you don't just wake up and you're a successful uh cannabis business person yeah it was i think it's so crazy because i was I was younger then. I had just turned 30 during that time period that I took over. And I was really like, I had a lot of like, I need to become an adult and do adult things kind of mentality. And I had a lot more energy. Um, and, uh, and then also just like the, the trauma of having a family member arrested. He was, he was in Rikers, dude. I had to travel across the country to go you know, like visit my brother and see how he's doing. And Rikers is fucking ugly. You know, like we got stuck on Rikers because there was a protest and they shut down the bridge. So we just had to be there. You know what I mean? Until, until the protesters like just stopped, you know what I mean? Like it it was crazy. It's ugly anyways. But like, so I had a lot of motivation, you know, to, to Mm. just be like, um, and my brother did a lot of work. You know, he built a website. He built an entire brand. It had sweaters, hoodies, like all, you know, just this whole slew of like amazing cannabis experience, you know, and all I had to do was add weed, you know, <laughs> and just <laughs> and, and drive around and like deliver it to people. You know what I mean? So that was tight. And I just talked to people about how excited I was about the weed that I curated, you know, and like, it was wonderful. Like I, I loved my days, you know, and then we had to start, I had a uh, it was crazy because during the daytime I was delivering weed and then at night we were doing a lot of advocacy at the at the city and the state level to help give any input into to these cannabis uh, regulations. Um, it's been crazy, you know, <laughs> like, but well, we, but we got the cannabis equity programs and that's a big, it's a big deal. It's an opportunity it really is. Are you working now? I mean, similar to what Charlie's saying, like, are, are you trying to find your niche? Do you have to set yourself apart in some way? Like, what, what well, are you doing to compete just as a business person, independent yeah. of, the, of the equity part? I don't think about competition too much. I think about competition, it like wastes my energy personally, you know? Um, but uh, so I just try to stay extremely authentic. However, yes, about finding other niches, like right now, because it's taking so long for permitting and licensing to happen, I had to start a consulting company because I can't make money selling weed right now. And this is the problem because we're just sitting here waiting for the process and like capital is burning out. Like we have to like manage our investors and all these other things that are very new to our uh our repertoire of things that we have to do during a day. <laughs> it's a lot of work. This, this weed is not going to smoke itself. No. <laughs> I smoke gotta... so much weed at night just to go to sleep. Like... <laughs> I'm, I'm also reminded of, you know, one of my favorite uh, Chris Rock routines, which was about, you know, drugs and what drugs are legal and what drugs aren't. And this was years ago, you know, when we were still deep into prohibition. I forget which Chris Rock special it was, but it was, you know, in the mid 90s, might have been bigger and blacker uh, when he said, you know, the reason these drugs are illegal uh, is, is that they come from brown countries. They don't it's like people don't want you to not do drugs. They want you to do their drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to get a prescription for an opioid you know, or at least at one time it was then to get another variety of drugs that have been tagged in that way. And he said, if weed was legal, it'd be everywhere, right? If you could, if it could be produced here and capitalized on and taxed, he said, you know, I think he said, you wouldn't be going to Starbucks if you're going to weed bucks, you know? 
Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem that far off now, right? Like that routine was, I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, and now it seems like, you know, the, the interests are moving in. And, you know, if you go to business school, they don't, you don't, you're not talking about the product, right? It's just a widget, it's just a thing, right? It could be like canned soup or it could be socks, you know, or it could be weed. It's a product, right? And, and there's not an ethos behind it. And it sounds like within this conversation, you know, I'm not trying to gas you, Nina, but it sounds like what kind of sets you apart is that there is an ethos, right? This is a different kind of a business. This is a different kind of a service and you can't approach it as if it's just a latte or, you know, like a pair of headphones or something. It is, And it's really that because with cannabis, like the variety of uh, uh, essential oils that the plant produces, it creates different effects. So not all weed is the same. Like you're going to want to have good quality cannabis. You're not going to want to have Walmart grown, Monsanto grown cannabis. It's not going to taste good. You're not going to have a good experience. You know, like people come to cannabis for a very like, okay, so this is what I tell people. All right. So you as a human have a, a, you have a hard wiring to receive this plant. It's called your endocannabinoid system. And our, in our, our body produces natural cannabinoids, but in the plant, there are uh, like THC, uh, CBD, CBN, all of those other uh, chemical compounds that exist in the plant uh, want to find a way into our system and our body knows through the nose how to pick it. So I tell people it's like when Harry Potter goes and the, sh- the wand and it, like picks him, right? <laughs> Your your cannabis is kind of that way too. Your cannabis and you will like in tune with like vibe with each other. You'll know by like smelling. And that's what's kind of hard about this new experience out here with the regulation. It makes it so much harder for people to interact with a raw plant because everything has to be prepackaged. You can't have those jars anymore. It's not like going to an herbal shop and being able to pick what you want. Um, so the, the interaction, the connection with the plant is starting to kind of separate. So for me personally, on a spiritual level, I think that's, it sucks when you have all this packaging between you and something that's organic, you know? So, um, it's, a, that's true. You know, that's like, I always, you know, in, in bodegas in New York, like they'll have like a little basket with some terrible produce at the front, just like the worst kind of produce. Right. There's, there's always like a green apple in there. <laughs> that is wrapped in uh, cellophane, like plastic wrap, right? I'm like, why'd you go through the extra step to put plastic around that apple? The <laughs> apple already has packaging. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's got an apple skin on it. You're and wasting they, plastic. And they coat that in wax already as it is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. <laughs> so it's probably not that far off. I mean, a, yeah. a man can dream, but I would hope that one day I can go into a bodega in New York City and there will be like a little basket by... Um, the cash register that'll have like some buds in it just wrapped up and some some like boo boo weed cellophane. <laughs> so just like garbage ass weed in a plastic no! bag yeah, wrapped up in a basket right next to the cash register. That's garbage. That's garbage. <laughs> That's funny. These are, These are my fears about where the industry is headed. People. Oh man. Well, no. see, so here's the thing. That's a that's a very realistic fear. Because I believe uh, Monsanto just got through uh, cloning its first strain. That's right. Um, 
And uh, like I was saying before we started recording, uh, cannabis is a plant that's meant to grow out in the sun for a certain amount of time. And uh, a lot of its medicinal qualities uh, come from that process and that earth, you know what I'm saying? You lose a lot uh, playing the indoor game, uh, especially uh, when your primary concern is high turnover uh, at a fast rate and you're not yep. necessarily paying attention to creating a healthy plant uh, or a healthy medicine for your consumer. We might very well be getting to a place where, you know, there are packs of joints on the shelves just right next to the Marlboros that taste just like the yeah. motherfuckers. Mm. And, yeah. and, you know what? and yeah, you know what? Uh, <laughs> let me let me, let's just let's just be real here. I think corporate weed is just uh, a lot more a reality than we think it is. Um and I'm just going all across the US to really think about it. And you know, Charlie brought up a really good point with Monsanto you know, really developing this strain. And here we go. And, um, you know, overseas, the, the the merger between Monsanto and Bayer is not a coincidence. And we all know this because, you know, Bayer already holds that patent for that pesticide to go ahead and just, you know, really corner the market. So, you know, yeah. when we see corporate businesses already talking to other countries like Canada and, you know, and they're trying to do this all under the radar, listen, um, I don't think you're far off, Russell or Charlie. We might see those packets next to the Marlboros and everything. Um, but Nina brings up a really good point, though, right? Um, and I think this was goes on uh, goes to the earlier conversation about authenticity and just like you know that that product that people really recognize and love and know, right? I think like you know this is where um, I think you know the 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 success of keeping kind of like these things. Um, as far as like the quantity and the quality in in a in a way of just um, to the purity of, of people who use it, right? Like I think like that's where it really becomes kind of like this this ethos. I know you know it's a big battle, but we are dealing with something that you know again corporate weed is here. It's 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 yeah. definitely here, and you know now we have to just figure out, man, how do we keep the authenticity and you know the the, the quality of things when uh, I mean. We do, we do have a model for this, right? I mean, we've seen agriculture change a lot, right? Like agribusiness got so bad that people were like, we got to subvert this. And they're like, I have an idea. Why don't we just cut out all the middlemen? And that's when, you know, farm to table became something that was appealing to people as part of these artisanal movements, right? Like it, it, they didn't invent the idea of like picking a tomato off of a vine, you know, and then chopping it up and putting it on a salad. People just recognized that corporations had put a big distance between what we ate, you know, what we put on our bodies and where it came from, very natural products. Uh, and I think, you know, we might see a very similar backlash you know, in, in this industry, especially considering who these consumers are. You know, I think all the time that I keep using apples as an example, but I think it's a good example, you know. But it's just, the, uh, the most common apple that you encounter is the, the Red Delicious, right? Uh-huh. And everybody agrees, that is the worst apple. That apple tastes <laughs> terrible. Nobody wants that. Anybody who's yeah. ever been in jail knows that apple, they're just giving them away. Every day they're giving you, it bruises easily, it's mealy, it doesn't taste good, right? But it's the easiest one to grow, right? It's the, the one that they were able to streamline. We're like, okay, it's really cheap, it's really efficient, let's corner the market. If you want an apple, this is the apple you're going to get. And that was true up until 10 or 15 years ago. Now, 
right? You can go to the store, you, whatever. You can get yourself a Fuji or a Gala. You know, the, it, it's opened up a little bit to, to cater yes. to people's tastes. And hopefully, you know, people will anticipate this, right? I mean, and, am I being naive? I don't know. It was just last week that one of the first big tests kind of got passed. It shows you that people are, the, the consumer, the clients, are already deciding how this is going to go. Um, because uh, it went around the Twitter that, that Coca-Cola was searching for a large uh, a grower in Canada to possibly get into the beverage industry with CBDs. I mean, they were just like, people were going out like, oh, hell no, Coca-Cola is not stepping into the game. And, and it was good to see that because it was barely just a, a, an initial conversation that they're just trying to start. It's a combination of both right now. We have big business that's coming in. You got Constellation Brewery that just gave $4 billion to Canopy. You know what I mean? Uh, which, is a, which is a publicly traded uh, company on the, on, the, um, what you call it, on the Canadian stock market. You have Tilray that secured the the contract to import weed from Canada to the San Diego study, right? You have Canada exporting out to uh, Canada and Colombia exporting out to Germany, you know, and like Israel exporting out to Germany to go supply their, their need for weed. You know what I mean? Like this is already like, there's so many things that are already moving. I think that um, what's very interesting is because we have this social justice piece for cannabis is that we're going to see a lot of new champions rise up, I think, right? Um, I definitely think it, it's interesting because these equity programs make it so uh, general applicants or saying with the people that are regular business owners um, have to work with, with the uh, equity verified people if they want to get into the, to the current market, into, at least in San Francisco and in Oakland. You know, um, so it does change the landscape. It slows things down. They can't just come in and gentrify our, our spaces anymore. They have to talk to us first so we can gentrify it together. No, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's well said. And I think that's the point. If there's, if there's something that we can take away today, it's that the equity piece is what could save this industry from, you know, being completely undermined so that we have terrible apples and shitty beer, you know, the equivalent of like really low quality products. Look, um, and even like craft beer is making such a huge comeback right now. Like it's, it's exactly like, so much, like people are like, Fuck for, years and years, for years and years, people were like, oh yeah, Miller Lite, this is what beer tastes like. And then all of a sudden they were like, did you know that there's other beer that's not Miller Lite? Uh, and I think we could, we could take those lessons and combine it with what you're talking about in terms of equity to kind of prevent the dilution uh, of, of this burgeoning industry. Right. It, was a, it was a strategy that was crafted in the Bay Area, but it's, I think that a lot of people... Just like everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> All right, Nina, I, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. You really managed to uh, summarize this issue and kind of present some really valuable points for us. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome to come back at any time to talk about weed or not weed or anything else that's going on with you. Welcome uh, to the family. Once a guest, always a guest. And I want to thank Albert for being here, Dre, Charlie, uh, and Eming, our producer. Very, very informative discussion. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks to our listeners. Uh, until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.